Hey. Hey, Talani, how's it going? How are you doing? Good, you know. It's the tail end of the day, but uh, I'm very, very pumped up and excited. I mean, my energy levels are freakishly off the charts for this time of the day. Really? <laughs> well, good for me then. <laughs> well, you, I'm, I'm telling you, you'll have to tell me to stop talking at one point. Oh, really? No problem. That's my job. I'm actually learning how to do that through this, you know, forum. Anyways, um, I'm really, really excited that you're on board uh, with the podcast and all that, and I can't really wait to... In a share story. Yeah, is the is the audio quality okay for you? Um, sound good to my ears, but I'm gonna play the recording to see if that if I have to make any adjustments on my end. How's that? Certainly, yeah, no problem. Alright, and I'll call you right back. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I am Mosido, and this is the Mosido Podcast. Welcome to the Morsible Podcast, a podcast about cultural, cultural nomads designed for blacks and Asians and those who love them. I'm your host, Morsible, Nigerian-born, U.S.-educated, Korean-speaking, struggling intellectual. Today, I have on board um, a very, very special guest. I always say that about my, my guests because they really are very special. I mean, the podcast is built to tell stories of people that I'm inspired by. So by virtue of anyone being on this podcast, they inspire me one way or the other. And this person, I met them probably about four or five years ago in grad school and... If you ever know, if you know him, for those that know him, the first thing that stands out is his height. But he does it in such a way that even though he's that tall, it doesn't come off as being intimidating. He's very collegial. He's my colleague as well. And he grew up in India. He's actually an Indian. Uh, he moved to the U.S. for grad school and we met in grad school. He's a wonderful colleague. He's, uh, I have many words to describe him with, but he's very, very intelligent as well. I mean, just you being around him and hearing all he has to offer to say, not just about pharmacy or medical stuff, but he's really well-rounded. So it's with joy and honor that I introduce my very next guest, Dr. Sanket Shah. What's up, Dr. Shah? Hey, Talani. How's it going? <laughs> Good. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. You know, living the dream one day at a time. Good, good. Let me keep living my car through you. So tell me, how's Austin today? Austin is, you know, bipolar as usual. We have uh, uh, cold weather one day and heat, hot weather the next. So I honestly don't know how to prepare for it anymore. So I just yeah. wing it and step out with a jacket and an umbrella every day and, you know, take one day as it comes. Very good. But other than that, uh, it's, you know, we're definitely on the tail end of, of the winter. So it, it's getting yeah. much, much better. Good, good. Well, um, it's really nice to have you on the podcast today and I can't really wait for everybody to get to know more about you. You know, that was a very flattering introduction. I hope I can do it justice and, you know, provide some hey. val valuable information. And it is an absolute honor to be here and fe be featured with the other distinguished uh, speakers that were here before. So I'm excited and we can get started. Very good, very good. So um, so tell me more. I mean, for those that don't really know you, so you, mm -hmm. you're Indian, correct? You went to the U.S. for grad school. Another thing I forgot to mention, so um, Dr. Shah is, is an MD, like he has a medical degree. But one of the things that really stood out for me when I met him was he came to grad school in my program, which, you know, was a program for health economics and outcomes research. I usually have a lot of pharmacists there. So um, one of the things we really value in my program is that diversity of opinions. So having an MD on board, to me, was like, wow. I've only met one other MD that came to a pharmacy PhD program. So I just wanted to find out from you, what, what really inspired you, one, to pursue an advanced degree in um, health economics outcomes research, and then not even one related to public health like you would see other MDs doing. Why that program and, you know, why the course? 
you know i get that question a lot and you know with every passing time i i ask myself as to why i'm i'm here and i think it's becoming clearer you know as steve jobs says you know in, in hindsight when we connect the dots it becomes clear you know when i was in india one of the things you should know that india is a developing country and it is yeah. a non managed market which means most people are still paying for healthcare out of pocket and as you know as 70% of india is still rural access to healthcare in big cities is pretty great but it's abysmal in the villages and with this poor access we also don't have you know access to a lot of life changing medication so you know we can read about the harvoni and sowardies of the world in in the in literature online and you know in all all these advertisements but we don't really get access to that for treating our patients mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. sort of the frustration of practicing medicine in india is you not being able to access that and so mm-hmm. as rewarding as medical school was for me uh, yeah. that point always stuck as to why is with a population of over 1.5 billion people why are we not a target market for these advanced pharmaceuticals and mm-hmm. the more i read about it and the more i educated myself i learned that the story of healthcare by the decision makers was told in terms of us dollars it was not told in terms of oh how many lives we saved or what kind of societal impact we had it was purely a dollar conversation and i'm not really want to change the system from the outside i was like okay you know if we if i need to have an impact on this problem if i need to drive enhanced access i'm going to do it from the inside by changing mm-hmm. whatever i can and and i'm going to educate myself and so mm-hmm. this this began the journey of learning more about health economics i've spent a lot of time reading articles on the agency for healthcare research and quality yeah. hrq and i have friends you know dr hitesh chandwani from allergan he was yeah half the reason why i am in health economics right now so the more i talk about it the more convinced i got is i wanted to come here and austin honestly austin was on the hit list for me because of dr karen rascati because you know she's my mentor philosopher and guide and yeah. she is the one of the biggest names in pharmacoeconomics right now and because yeah. i wanted to be educated in that subject i moved to austin and you know started my journey here in health economics oh very good i mean really really glad to hear that part of it and i think one of the things i picked from there which kind of resonates with me was that frustration that drove you to you know find out more and change the system so for those that don't know i used to work with hiv patients and that was what i did quickly after pharmacy school and i realized okay i really didn't know so much about social economic factors affecting hiv via adherence and when you see a lot of your patients dying not you know due to your fault you get frustrated because in pharmacy school you thought about all of the you know knowledge about drugs what the drug does to the body what the body does to the drugs but then you forget about the patient part of it like how the patients feel for example about taking those medications which then would even have like the HART drugs and um also adherence and stigma and things like that so i think that frustration drove me to grad school and and you know so hearing you say that about access to care and, and like india just not yet like a prime target for like pharmaceuticals you wanting to change the system from inside i mean that's really really nice to hear dr shah yeah and you know the, the access problem is global i'm not just saying it's india that faces it i'm pretty sure africa china all any other developing nation even developed nations like the europe and and the us yeah. have have an access problem so i think there's a lot of work to be done here and with being very very grounded in clinical concepts and understanding disease areas as comfortably as i do i think i'm in a unique situation to help you know solve this problem or you know influence this problem from the inside and so that is what i hope yeah. to do with my life and i would consider you know my life is successful if i enable access to like say two or three life changing drugs to you know a couple million patients i would consider yeah. my my work done. 
that. You're well on your way. I can see that. I can definitely see that. I think one of the things I really like about you, and for those, for the few other people in the program that weren't necessarily from pharmacy background, is just how differently you saw things. Like your unique contribution, being an MD, and like the way you, you guys present information sometimes, like, wow, I didn't think about that. So I think that definitely adds to the value of the whole program as a whole. So. That's really, really good. So now tell me, Dr. Shah, well, how was it like for you adjusting to the U.S. educational system? Now, from I have you know quite a number of Indian friends, like you know, and we haven't really sat down and talked about how you know school was in India. But from the few things I've deduced from them, it's really tough and competitive. Yeah. So how was it like for you adjusting to the U.S. system? Was it? Do you think it was easier? If yes or no, why? Well, you know that is a that is a question with many many layers to it. So let me, you know, yeah, that, let me take you uh, back a little bit to my life in India before I actually, you know, moved to the U.S. And Great. I think the, the sole motivation for going to med school was, was my dad. My dad is a radiologist and, you know, growing up, he was always passively teaching me these things when uh, just, by, just by observing him, I, I learned a lot. And he was this really methodical clinician. Yeah. who was able to help people. And he had this uncanny ability to explain medicine to somebody who was not a, was not a clinician. And, you know, he, he could really calm them down and explain medical concepts with, with such ease. And so he was able to help a lot of people in his life. And that that is what motivated me to, you know, go to med school and train myself in into, you know, diagnosing and being able to talk to people as, as human beings. And it was grueling and rigorous. Believe me, you know, fighting against bureaucracy and all these government-imposed rules and regulations in, in India was yeah. not easy, but it really taught me the value of hard work. I mean, I, I had to work pretty hard to, you know, to get uh, to a really competitive med school and, you know, get through it. But that, I think, helped me transition very easily into the U.S. Because when you've learned the value of excellence, when you've learned the value of, you know, working really hard to get somewhere, that is appreciated in the U.S. much more. And I think you really get the bang for your buck when, when you work that hard in the U.S. So I would say that, again, you know, Connecting the dots in hindsight, my med school training really helped me transition very easily to the U.S. Uh, culturally, it, 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 it was discomforting at first, but I think over time I, I, I adapted to it. And I'm very, very fortunate to say that I have friends from every continent on, 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 on planet Earth. I have friends from Asia, the Americas, uh, South America, you know, Russia. And I'm very, very fortunate to have had these diverse experiences and diverse conversations from them. And they've my friends have added a lot, a lot of value uh, to my career and life. I feel that way too. I mean, I really feel that way because I think one of the best things I love about the U.S. is just how diverse it is. And you can actually come here and close yourself off to the world and just focus on the people that you just want to focus on. Yeah. But it gives you the opportunity to like step outside your comfort zone and talk to people. Try people you don't agree with, people that you know have different cultures from you. And then there's so much learning you have when you like interact with those people because it's like mine, mine is sometimes amazing how you view things the same way but also how you view things the True. You bring up a really good point here, and as as much as I think about it, adjusting to the U.S. educational system was was not the easiest because for the first three years, and I'm sure you relate to this, I was motivated purely by fear, and fear is a great motivator, believe me, but it drives you in in non-productive directions. Yeah. And as an Indian kid, you know you're supposed to you're you're told, oh, you work hard for the next two years, and your life is going to be set. You're going to make a ton of money. Yeah. And then you come to the U.S. and then you ha you're part of this Ph.D. program where the future is so uncertain, yeah. and it, it and you can set yourself up set your, set yourself up for failure if you know you yeah. start worrying so much. So yeah. and you know about imposter syndrome. I still feel to this day that what the hell am I doing with my life? Like why why am I in a Ph.D. program? What change? How am I going to change the world? And I still feel that today. 
but as i make more progress you know that has sort of you know gone away a little easily uh, i can work hard but the success metrics here in this system are very very different from how my life was originally and it, that, that yeah. definitely took a while to uh, you know to I get accepted and but i think the biggest reason why i stuck around and didn't quit is because yeah. pe- people had faith in me time and again when i've been weak i've reached out to my friends one of them including you and my other friend you know Shannon Smith who's really the re- who are really oh, reason why, yeah, uh, why i stayed back in grad school and decided to stick it out because you know people had so much faith in me it's like you know you have what it takes to succeed and you're, you're going to be very very successful one day i also want to yeah. you know thank my mentors from industry you know hitesh rahul sasane these folks have had a tremendous impact and you know karen definitely she's put up with so much of my crap over <laughs> over years i don't <laughs> understand why she keeps me that. around but obviously she saw something in me and yeah, uh, yeah. you know yeah. thank owing to these people i think i'm very very fortunate to have made it to year 5 and you know on the tail end of my phd program well you said it all because i i can say the same thing about my own mentor dr brown so yeah. um let's let's kind of you know go back a little bit to two things that you that i picked up from your previous statements that would be like you know cultural values like having to adjust what exactly would you say was the most challenging thing as far as cultural differences between you being that indian um doctor and then moving here and you know starting over again in a pharm- in a pharmacy grad program and in an american educational system yeah it was not so much culture as much as it was facing my own fears and i just felt for the first 3 or 4 years i was wearing this mask and practicing something i did not believe i wasn't true to myself in in the first couple of years of grad school grad school hmm. i was trying to keep my parents happy i was trying to do well by my mentors i was trying to do well by everybody else except myself and a dark path you know because i didn't really feel happy doing any of that and so towards the start of 2017 i i really thought that my life needed to you know change you know go through this pivotal change and i needed to shed this mask truly accept you know the things i believed in and just be true to myself and hold myself to a standard that was enough for me and not for for everybody else and so i i grew up with a value framework of you know what my parents taught me honesty integrity the importance of hard work and just you know the service of others and i felt this was enough you know this is enough of a value framework to go by even for my life in the us and if i just stick yeah. to it it is it is going to be enough and so i sort of shared all of that towards the start of 2017 and my life has been awesome ever since well good for you good for you and then another thing you said was um that you know fear of failing and imposter syndrome and for those listening i mean i should let you know again Dr. Shah is a very intelligent person and I've seen that a lot in a lot of intelligent people. There's always just that fear of failing that constantly just, you know, follows us about like like our shadows. And um that imposter syndrome you you talked about, I've written about that. I think what really helped me cuz I promise you it doesn't go away. It's almost like a wave like you you talk yourself into it like and then you feel that way again. It's talking to people about it. Like I have some core people that I can call and be like, "You know what?" I'm feeling that way again. I feel like I don't belong where I am. I feel like I'm not doing the, the best I can. I think it's something that just never goes away. But I think the antidote to that is just calling it for what it is. Mm-hmm. This is a boogeyman. This is, you know, imposter syndrome. And then also reminding yourself of some of the achievements you've had in the past. And it's very difficult for me to do that because I really don't like backing on my achievements because I always tell myself I've not even done enough. of what I think I should do. So I don't really like looking back, but sometimes you just you don't have to look back and tell yourself, I came here for a reason. Um for me to still be here, I've done, you know, quite a bit of good. I've done quite a bit of work. 
So maybe having people that can always remind you of who you were, especially when those moments come when you're really, really down. That's really, really helped me, you know, cope with imposter syndrome. I don't think it's ever going to go away because, you know, I'm, I'm a highly functioning um, neurotic when it comes to, like, you know, um, doing stuff. And that kind of, you know, sometimes really bogs me down because, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just my temperament. Yeah, skipping from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, you you know you bring up a good point. It's not something that goes away very fully. Uh, you 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 live with it every day, and I've I've sort of accepted how to live with it. I you know I don't take compliments very well. You know, towards the start, I told you, you know, Doctor Shah Me is still Doctor Shah is still a label I have not fully accepted because I'm around okay. so many smart people every day who deserve to be called Doctor more than I do, and I just yeah. don't feel like my achievements are enough to you know to accept that title, but. You're right. At the end of the day, I did get through med school. I will eventually hope yeah. to get through the PhD. Yeah. In India, for that matter, getting through med school in India. Are you kidding me? <laughs> even getting into med school, thinking about how many people like want to get in every year and they don't even get in. Anyways, go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah. So I think uh, it's it's getting easier over time. The more I think about it and the more I write, you know, just in my journal and, and keep yeah. keep track of what I've achieved. Uh, the failures become better opportunities to move forward and the successes become great things to look back to and just be happy about on a bad day. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. Very good, very good. Um, now we're going to just jump to the Mardi Gras section and then we'll come back finish up with other questions I have for you. listening to this podcast for the very first time in this section that I titled the Mardi Gras section is where I get to ask my guests open-ended questions that are drawn from inspiration on a set of paper napkins that I purchased from Walmart and Dr. Shah has chosen this question and this is it so Dr. Shah you get to make the rules what are they yes I I love tackling this question and I've, I've taken some time to think about it and one thing I would want to change right off the bat is have schools teach skills that are actually required to succeed in the real world mm. and not mm. textbooks. If jobs were purely available on basis of a GPA, I would not want to change anything. But the sad yeah. fact is that they're not. Grad school programs or undergrad for that matter, they can make us great analysts, great scientists, great individual contributors. That's not what really is required to succeed in the real world. The, yeah. the emphasis on soft skills, the emphasis on communication, the emphasis on yeah. playing well with others, the emphasis on mm -hmm. making sure that you're part of this large organization and you work well with others and present information in a cohesive and simple way for us others to generate insights from it and you know push push the boundary forward that is what's needed today and if i really could i would rework the educational system to to teach more of this that's my little that's my little rant but i even added that as the moment you talked about skills that are transferable i thought of two things you know financial liberty like many people don't even know how to balance a, a, a checkbook mm -hmm. and i should let you know that it wasn't until very recently that i really learned how to be very prudent with my money because i don't think we, we, we teach people that way and also the, the other thing would be emotional quotient you know, so financial liberty and you know, financial prudence and also emotional intelligence and eq like emotional absolutely prudence. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up emotional intelligence because honestly, there's not enough of that you can teach in the world. And, and you know, IQ, 
I think we have a lot of very smart, educated, technically gifted people who have who have great IQ and can be great contributors. But unless they're able to work well with others and be aware of how to read the room, of how or just perceive how they're affecting others in the room, it will be very difficult for them to get past a certain class ceiling. I mean, there's so much emphasis we place on intelligence question like the IQ test and forget about you know the even other part of it like emotional intelligence what you can learn more about you know temperament and also how to be more empathetic to people and in the book that really helped me in case anyone is curious about that would be the book on emotional intelligence Dana Goldman and I read that book probably about maybe eight nine years ago and it really opened my eyes because I mean before then I never really thought about this kind of concept so, but I think, like, I, mean, I really definitely agree with you about how we need teachable skills that it can transfer to the real world. Yeah, grades are good, GPAs are good, but if we don't learn how to play well with others, if we don't learn how to be more assertive and things like that, then what kind of people are we churning out into the real world? True. Very true. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for answering that. I thought that was a very, very good response. So um, that was the end of the Mardi Gras section. Now I have two questions for you. So we've kind of talked a little bit about fear of failing, and there's something you mentioned about calling your friends and helping you. So to me, that that leads to you know taking care of your health, especially your mental health, having like that social support. Now as an international student, which you are, which I was, I think one of the things you first have to learn when you move to the U.S. is you need to be very, very intentional about building that emotional support because there's no mommy to like run to, or there's no family to like you know go knock on their door. So you have to seek out friends that might become like families. What was that like for you? And would you say you've been able to build a good social support system for yourself here in the U.S.? Um, there are, again, you know, yes and no. When I first moved to the U.S. Um, in 2013, I came in with this cohort of 50-odd people that moved from India. And there were, yeah. there were a lot of people to hang out with and, you know, share sorrows. And they, everybody was bonded together by trauma of moving to the U.S. And I made several close friends at the time. Unfortunately, they all turned out to be master students and moved away after two years. And, you know, that is something that happens in the U.S. a lot is people move away for work. And that was sort of the pivotal point where my social system sort of collapsed. I had no support whatsoever. And about for about one and a half years, I felt very alone, very, very lonely. Nobody to talk to when I, you know, picked up the phone. That that sort of took a toll on me. Mm -hmm. Ever since I've started to do more emotional work on myself, uh, ever since yeah. I started going to therapy and, you know, really focused on being more self-aware and, and aware of mm -hmm. what, what, what I'm feeling, I have been able to build that back up slowly. And I think yeah. uh, it is a question of getting your needs met. So yeah. when I make a new connection now, I, I put my needs up, you know, just in front and say, hey, look, you know, we're both here to get our needs met. What do you need from this? What do I need from this? Let's be frank and have a conversation. And I think mm -hmm. we are old enough that now and if, if that works out great if not there isn't enough time for superficial relationships anymore no. so I think over over a period of time a lot of my relationships have filtered off naturally and the people that remain now I can say very confidently are close fast friends that I can rely on at any point and just pick up the phone and start renting or sharing my emotions Story. Oh, that's really, really good. You reminded me of something about well, when I moved to the U.S., I think one of the things this time really helped me with was to kind of help you see what kind of friends you really have. <laughs> now, I'm not saying like, you know, I have horrible friends, but there's a thing this time just to your friendships. You kind of understand who will be there for you and who wouldn't be there for you. And it's not saying that those that aren't there for you, they just didn't want to be there for you. But then when it comes down to, you know, the real stuff, when it comes down to when you're really, really vulnerable and you need people to reach out to, those that really stay behind, then you start seeing that, okay, these are my people, these are my tribe. And I think that's one of the advantages of moving here. It really wasn't a pretty process, you know, having to, like, see people just not be there when you need them. 
you know, and like I said, they have different reasons, the distance, the time difference and things like that. But then here you're really, really conscious of who your people are because friendships in the U.S. versus friendships in Nigeria are totally different. I mean, it's really, really hard building friends here. But when you do find those friends, they're really, really worth keeping. Oh, absolutely. And, and you, you mentioned some reasons for why these relationships filtered out. And honestly, there, there will be reasons and reasons. But the people who really want to make time will still make time regardless of Very whatever. True. So I'm glad that you were able to you know, have people that, you know, stayed back and took these efforts into building up this trust and, and relationship with you. That That's yeah. important and I think these people are worth every sacrifice and every effort that you can put into to keep that relationship stable. Friendship is, it's, it's, it's kind of that balance, like, you're there for people, You whatever energy they put into you, you want to put back into them. It's just a natural response. You want to love back on people that have, you know, really been there for you. So that's really taught me to be more, you know, mindful of my friends and also to do friendship the right way, not just in numbers, because I used to be a numbers kind of girl. Like, I could make friends, I can make friends easily, that, that's a natural thing I, you know, I pride myself to have. But as far as sustaining and maintaining friendship, it takes a lot of work. You know, and if, if people don't give that back to you, it's hard for you to give that. So I've really learned to be very intentional and mindful about my friendships. And I wouldn't trade my friends for the whole world, really. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you have people that, that deserve uh, your friendship. Because I can tell you, you, you are an absolutely yeah. amazing friend to have. You are a uh -huh. great, great pillar of support. And I think you're emotionally very, very perceptive. And anybody who can, who's, you know, who can call you their friend is, is very, very fortunate. Thank you, thank you. And I should say that it, it didn't, it wasn't, I wasn't always like this. Through a lot of help, especially with therapy, because I had to like find out so many things about myself. But yeah. once I got rid of the gunk and you know, being more comfortable in my own skin, I, I realized I could be a better person to those around me. Because when you kind of find out why you you tend to do things a certain way that wasn't necessarily always the right way. And therapy makes you ask the whys, and then but you tend to accept yourself, and by accepting yourself, you love people better. Because if you've understood yourself, if you've loved yourself more, then you can love people better. So, but thanks for that feedback. I just wanted to say that it, I wasn't always like this. Therapy and a lot of other support really helped me, you know, be more. I want to say nicer to people. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad you got your yeah. that. Thank you, thank you. So um, another question I had for you. One thing I love about you Indians, and this is a very general statement, and I talk about this with my Nigerian friends a lot, it's just how you guys know how to like look out for each other. And this is something that I really always pray that you know Nigerians can also do here, especially in the U.S. We're not very cohesive as a group, and there's usually still that little bit of envy and you know um, trying to pull each other down. And I'm not saying you know everybody does that, but it's just a general statement, like I said. But one thing I really, really love about you guys, I remember when um, I moved here. I know you guys had a Facebook group for all the Indian students mm -hmm. at UT, yep. and um, Puji, Puji had you know showed me the group and he had like thousands of people on there. You guys, you know, you, you do like potlucks. <laughs> I remember I came to one of the potlucks. Okay, I think, I think you were there. I came to one of the potlucks. I had, you know, Gobi Parantas and too many things. And I was like, wow. And you guys, most of the people didn't even know each other from India. You just, you know, by virtue of just being India, from being from different parts of India, you were able to connect. You had parties. You had things like that. And you were very supportive of each other. Now, that's one thing I really, really, really wish Nigerians would get on board with. Because there's always still that, you know, distrust we have of each other. I don't know why. I don't know where that's coming from. But I just wanted to throw that out there that you guys are really doing you know, good with trying to keep, you know, tabs on each other and, and supporting each other and doing life together. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you bring up a great point. See, as most of us, every, every, all, everybody who, you know, moved here from India grew up in the same close-knit, family-oriented culture mm -hmm. where 
Every everything was a party. Every small reason may be high school graduation, may be weddings or baby showers or what not was a cause for the entire family to get together and celebrate. Oh wow. And more than that I think the fact that the system in family uh, the system of family in India is you definitely stick together during rough times. Even if you're not there for the party, you're definitely there during the misery and the grief. It is only with the support of the family that you can actually tide over emotional crises like this. So most of us have have been, you know, really grounded in that background and when we move here, we are moving moving away from all of our family support and that we find in each other now. So what you are seeing as, you know, the potlucks and what not, this is actually people who are alone and lonely and really need to feel that support and friendship and community with with their fellow countrymen and it just becomes easier because you have a shared cultural background it just becomes yeah. easy for indians to share that with other indians but i would say though that i now after having 5 years lived for 5 years in the us can share yeah. that very easily with my friends that are not from india i mean i can share that yeah. very easily with shannon i can share that with my friend huna and they get the cultural element i get theirs and they get mine and so i think yeah. that can be had with anybody regardless of country or or culture there you go so the nigerians listen to this see how you know dr shah just talked about how you can apply those concepts to anybody so wherever you are here in the us or whatever part of the world find you know nigerians like you or even people like you that you want to connect with because everybody gets lonely once in a while find somebody you can talk to build your community so loneliness and uh, you know all those situational circumstances we can at least reduce it a little bit. While it's good to be alone sometimes, but loneliness, the miserable forms of loneliness, that's very preventable. So find somebody to connect with. Thanks for that, Dr. Shah. Yeah. Now, um, another question I had for you. So I'm Nigerian, right? Like, you know? Mm-hmm. And one thing I believe in is cultural curiosity. Like, um, I feel like one of the issues we're tackling right now is identity politics, where people cannot ask questions for fear of being labeled, you know, oh, racist, oh, xenophobic. So I just wanted to ask you, are you curious about anything regarding my country or um, regarding, you know, my culture as a Nigerian person? And so you can ask and I'll be more than happy to answer it. Now, I don't pride myself as being an authority in these issues, but best believe me, I'll do my best. So do you have any questions? I actually do. And... Uh, oh. I I actually have another colleague from UT you know Chizom Chizom Chima who's yeah. who's from Nigeria and I had the distinct pleasure of performing a dance at her wedding. Yeah, and we all did, remember? Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yes, and yeah. I danced my vigorous Punjabi Bhangra moves uh, you know at at her wedding and that was awesome. And so at the time I found people spraying dollar bills at me and I found that oh. very amusing and uh, I still do not know the cultural backdrop to that practice and I would love to to you know to, to hear why that practice came into came into being. First of all, shout out to Dr. Benida Bangbade who was our choreographer and to Chisom Chima who was the bride that we danced at the wedding. Now, Dr. Shah, I don't know what the origin of that is, but we call it making it rain. So one of the things Nigerians really know how to do is we know how to throw a good party. Yes. And even though there's a time the government tried to ban, you know, spray money because they thought it was how like disrespectful because you know you step on the faces on the bill, which was kind of disrespectful. They tried banning it, but it just doesn't work. I think it's a way of just showing that they enjoyed seeing you dance. Almost every party they do that. Now I don't know why, but it's just one one thing we do. It's it's kind of like how some people throw like confetti, but we just like to throw money because you know we're like bloody show offs. 
And yeah, so it's what we do. I don't know why, but yeah, I think I'm going to have uh, that practice at my at my wedding reception <laughs> whenever I do that because I definitely want to collect those dollar bills and you know. I want you to do it even a little bit better. Why not ask for credit cards instead and with pin numbers at the back? Oh, that's even better. And I'm credit cards instead of just better. dollars. Why settle for dollars when you can have the whole credit card? <laughs> Awesome. Well, well, thank you for for sharing that. I mean, that was oh, no uh, and no that problem. actually inspired me to dance at more Nigerian weddings if I ever yeah. got the chance. Yeah, and do you notice that the more you were dancing, the the more the intensity of the spraying was? So that's the oh, absolutely. Everybody. And and the, I think the MC even uh, you know called me to the side and and you know towards the end and and I complimented remember. complimented me on saying, I, my friend, you do a really mean dance, and I was I, I remember, was so flattered. I yeah, I remember. I remember. So to anyone that you know is attending their first Nigerian party anytime soon, make sure you dance well because the, the harder the intensity of your dance, the more money you're going to be spread. And guess what? You get to keep those money because they're yours, you know? <laughs> they make it rain on you, so you keep those money. <laughs> but anyways, I, 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 I mean, that was a very good question, a very, very curious question. So anyways, I hope I was able to answer it to the best of my ability. Oh, yes, thank you. Well, anyway, so we've talked a lot about several things today. We've talked about contrasting and comparing your life and India as a doctor, and what really drove you out of there to, to grad school. Now, the final question I have for you is, what, what's the future like for you? What do you, I know you've talked about, um, and I'm, I'm having like incomplete sentences, people are going to call me out on that. So you've talked about how your hope is really to, you know, be able to change at least two to three million lives with a couple of medications in India. But uh, on a general level, or even on a more broad level, what's the future like for you? Like, what do you hope for the future? Certainly. And I'm going to answer that in three parts. I think professionally, I would love to enter the pharmaceutical industry and, you know, get started as a health economist and make my way up to an organization that allows me to drive access decisions. And hopefully, I get to be powerful enough one day where I can do licensing deals in India or, you know, just help enough people. That would be my hope professionally. And then in the future, I would transition out into a small biotech company and, you know, help them put their drug on market. I think other than that, in terms of just life, I would want to yeah. be in a position to be able to control my life. Uh, and that means not having to worry about money, not having to worry about a lot of the worldly matters that we otherwise worry about. I would definitely love to have the power to, you know, visit my parents every now and then because that's important yeah. to me and, you know, just care for them. And uh, other than that, I would continue to, you know, be emotionally, physically and just, you know, mentally healthy. And that in mm. itself, I think, would be enough. Wow. Those are very good core life goals. I mean, you've summarized basically, you know, a lot of things in there. And, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I really do wish you all the very best and really hope you get to fulfill all of your goals. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate the great good wishes. I do also hope that I've done justice to your listeners. And again, I want to thank you sincerely to to bring me onto the podcast and give me an opportunity to share my story. You've done amazing work. All the other speakers have been really great. And I hope you continue this podcast for many, many decades from this point on so that all the graduate students, you know, may benefit from it. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for that. And um, I think we, we can end up, we can wrap this up by just talking to grad students who are probably listening to this podcast. And for those that are venturing to grad school, and this is this, be very patient with yourself. If you're moving from another country to the U.S. for grad school, I mean, number one, just give yourself a round of applause because that's a very tough decision to make. And now that I hear, a lot of things are going to be very different for you. You might find yourself adjusting in a different way to the educational system and then fulfilling the requirements of whatever your program is. But take each day as it comes. 
take each day as it comes and try to find your community because you need that emotional support to pull you through especially during the holidays when you don't have the means to go back home. You know, some of us, you know, live so far away. By the time you think about the cost of tickets and things like that, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to stay at home for the holiday. But what I'm trying to say in essence is that, you know, take each day as it comes. Be very patient with yourself. Some days are going to be very good. Some days are not going to be very good. But guess what? We all go through those grinds every once in a while. I was in grad school. Now I'm on the other side. And looking back, if I could tell myself that one thing, that was just going to be it. I wish I had been a bit more patient with myself, especially when I struggled a lot. You know? But when I finally found out that and I started talking to people about my struggles, guess what? I found that I wasn't the only one thinking that way. I wasn't the only one suffering from imposter syndrome. I wasn't the only one feeling like, why do I have to keep struggling about you know, this particular thing over and over again? It could be a data analysis class, or it could be you know, some things you're just finding it difficult to learn. But you know what? It's going to get better. Just keep trying your best, and be patient with yourself while you get it. Do you have anything to add to that, Dr. Shah? Yes, absolutely. Uh, what I'd like to say in closing is just that, you know, you are going to struggle and what doesn't kill you definitely makes you stronger. Please remember to everybody who's out there struggling like me, you're smart, you're hardworking, you deserve to be where you are, you deserve success and you deserve happiness. Is it going to come tomorrow? But no, it's not. Gratification is always delayed the older you get. But yeah. the only thing you can do is continue to be the best version of yourself Work on yourself, you are your best project, and then rewards come on its own, and they will be more than you can handle. So don't worry about rewards. You're going to get there, perfect. I promise. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, um, so, we've, I mean, we've talked a lot about so many things. Thank you for sharing all about your, um, your passion and especially what you had to do in adjusting to the U.S. educational system and the fear of failing, um, the preserving of cultural values, mental health issues and how to take care of ourselves. And then finally, just, you know, reaching out to grad students. And like I said, I do wish you the very best. And I, I feel like I should bring you back on podcast again. Probably we can talk about your research project and, you know, whatever things you, you find you. Or maybe books you're currently reading or hobbies you currently picked up. But it's really been nice having you on the podcast and, you know, getting to share your story. And you don't have to worry about you pleasing my audience. I want to say on behalf of them, I think you did a fantastic job, Dr. Shah. Thank you. And then for everybody else who's listening, it's Sanket. Not Dr. Shah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to put some respect on it, Dr. Shah. <laughs> Thank you. It, you is, it has you, been an absolute know, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. You know, I call you psychics, you know, you know, just between you and us. But I have to, you know, be respectful for those that are listening. It's just, you know, it's just... It's just what I have to do, okay? It's the podcast for me. I got you. I got you. <laughs> All right, good. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the More Simple Podcast. I've had the utmost pleasure of interviewing one of my colleagues, Dr. Sanket Shah. He's a final year grad student at the College of Pharmacy at the University of Texas, where he's doing a PhD in health outcomes and pharmacy practice. He's also from India. Well, if you have any comments about this episode, feel free to leave them on the comment box. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and rate the podcast as well as the More Civil Podcast on iTunes. And um, subscribe on the website, www.morecivil.com. There, if you put your email, you can be notified when I upload um, new episodes every Thursday, usually 6.03 p.m. CST. Well, this has been the More Civil Podcast. Thanks for listening. I remain your host, Mosibo. All right, Sanket. That was it. How do you feel? Awesome. I feel lovely. I feel so energized right now. Uh, how do you think so that went? Good. 
Are you kidding me? It was perfect. You were worried about talking too much. I thought you were very poignant and straight to the point. Like, you could have as well been the, the person hosting this podcast. You were very professional and very, you know, insightful. Oh, well, so I'm, I'm glad. Okay, great. Awesome. Have, all right. Have a good Thanks. night. Good night, Jelani. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Mm-hmm.